0: Hey, listeners, today's episode deals with the topic of child death. We wanted to notify our listeners who may experience trauma related to that topic ahead of the episode and to let you know that resources are listed on our website. Thanks for listening. In this True Crime Law and Order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories feel good i feel
1: great great i feel good i'm not gonna sing anymore (laughs) (laughs) well what do you have what do you have
0: for me what do you got um i don't have much i have a few recommendations okay we can start with that or we can start with my random stuff
1: Mm, doesn't matter
0: do recommendations first let's do it (laughs) let's do it let's go on her journey let's go
1: i watched uh or i started watching i should say true detective on hbo
0: Ooh. Was i years i late. <laughs> i I've, i think i've told you that miles and i started season one of that but then literally never watched the last episode so we never oh. knew what happened is that still the never, case yeah still the case we actually started it again and just didn't continue i don't know why how funny i am in i think
1: episode five or so of the first season so okay plugging along i really like it it's It It took me a couple
0: episodes to get into it, though. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey plays a skis ball really well. Yeah, definitely. And Woody (sighs) Harrelson, too, kind of, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I really like it so far. So if you're behind on
0: it like I was, get on it. It's a good one and i love our timely recommendations of things that came out like six or seven years ago you know what i bet there are a ton of people out there that
1: were just like you or i with some of these things where they're like i'll watch that eventually i'll watch that when i get enough of other people's opinions well you know what probably if you were waiting for that final opinion
0: here it is (laughs)
1: boom (laughs) um also a little late to this one but this one's at least still ongoing i have been listening to the podcast someone knows something
0: or is it somebody knows something Someone knows something. Someone. Yeah. I have that in my library, but I haven't, like, picked it up yet. Mm-hmm. It's been like that for me, too. <laughs> I think
1: they recommended it probably, like, early on in my favorite murder. Probably. And it's probably been there ever since. Um, it's great. It's great. I will say one critique of it. Ooh, controversy. <laughs> I know. I'm in season two of it so far. It's, it's very good. Okay. I don't know if this carries on throughout the whole series. I don't really care for the intro or outro music. Oh, interesting. Yeah, just, I don't know. Does it not fit the tone or something? No, it feels very, if you heard just, and I'm not talking about this, there's a song that plays at the end of some of the episodes too, and I think Uh it's more of the, where the music comes from. So the song portion is fine. It It doesn't really fit the episodes either. It feels very like Mama's and the Papa's time folk song. Ah, okay. Interesting. About how how we're never going to stop looking. And then the music feels a little bit like nursery rhyme. (laughs) It's strange to me. But the the show is great. Awesome. Okay. Those are my recommendations. You have one there too, which I actually
0: think I know what you're going to say. And I've been dying to watch it. Okay. So there's a TV show on HBO called Hacks that Miles and I just started yesterday. And it stars... Gene Smart. Jean no, Smart, yes, right? uh, yes, I love her. That's why I want to I, watch it. <laughs> okay, I love Jean Smart, but to be honest, I, like i I actually saw her recently. We watched Mayor of Easttown with Kate Winslet, and she's the mom in that. okay. and I the minute I saw her, I was like, I know who this woman is, but I could not place her anywhere. And like looking at her filmography, she's done a million things, obviously. Right. She was on uh, designing women, right? Yeah, that's where I first know her from. That's where I mainly okay. know her from. I still can't figure out where I
1: know her from, though. Mm. She's been on a lot of made-for-TV movies, too, over the years, I feel like. So you probably have seen her, and I feel like she plays, like, moms on popular shows. You know, I feel like she's played very—I don't want to say friends, but, like, shows that were as popular as Friends. I feel like she's been, like, the mom on one of those shows. There are a few— she was
0: on Samantha Who. Did you ever watch that? Oh no, but you've always told me about it. That's the one with Christy and right? Yes. I, I it got cancelled, I think, after the second season, mm-hmm. but I remember it being at least fun periodically.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> you know, it's like one of those shows where you like, you know you watched it, but you're not quite sure how you felt about it. Oh, totally. I have or quite you don't a few remember anymore. Shows.
1: Have you ever yeah. had a show or a movie? that you were sure you loved because it was great and then you made a bunch of people watch it or you made someone watch it with you with you in the room and (laughs) as you're watching it you're slowly unraveling (laughs) how (laughs) terrible it is in your mind and just praying that you can rely on the nostalgia to get you two through this experience (laughs) yes
0: a hundred percent oh man well (laughs) (laughs) anyway so Jean Smart she's on a TV show called Hacks that's on HBO I think the second season came out semi recently maybe Mm -hmm. and it's really good I like it a lot so far it's both like kind of touching but also really funny and the the characters play off of each other very well so highly recommend Mm, I've been wondering that actually is a recommendation that came from my work friend Trisha hey is that the one that knows housewives Yes, and she also we were texting about something the other day, and she was like, "Oh my god, you talked about that on your podcast." And I was like, "You listen to my podcast, Trisha. Reach out She's to me." She's a few episodes
1: behind, but <laughs> I want fun emails with housewife
0: things in them. <laughs> Just you and Trisha really email. should be friends. You would get along really well. Uh, okay. Okay, a couple other things. Number one, I had a moment again, like a Dirty Betty moment where I was watching a documentary. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this seems so familiar. And then I was like, oh, it's because I covered this case on the podcast. (laughs) So there's a documentary called Trial Forward that is kind of about a specific case of a man who was imprisoned, and it was a wrongful conviction. And it's sort of exposing systemic injustice, particularly around race Mm -hmm. in uh, criminal justice and policing. And it involved the story of Carol Stewart, which I don't know if you remember her, she and her husband were like shot in their car, and she died, and he survived. Oh, And yes, then it all came yes. out that it was an insurance scam and his brother helped him and then the oh next day gosh, he died yes. by suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, why does this seem so familiar? Oh, that's why I covered it on the podcast. (laughs) That's so funny. Number two, are you current on Beverly Hills? Did you watch the most recent episode? When did it come out? Like two days ago, probably. Mm, I don't know if we've seen the very most recent one then, maybe. Okay, well, there's a scene that involves Kyle Richards' children. Mm -hmm. And... I just need you to to recap or te- text me when you see the scene involving your favorite daughter of hers, Portia.
1: Oh my gosh. We were just talking about <laughs> Portia last episode. We
0: wa- was it after the most recent New York or before it? It was after the most recent New York. Okay. Haven't seen it yet then because the last okay. one we watched was New York. And speaking of Real Housewives, uh, Sinisterhood, which is one of my favorite podcasts, they have an episode they're doing a two-part i think at least episode on the housewife and the hustler so they're like doing this whole episode about the housewives and neither of them have really been into it but since watching it they've like watched some of the show and so they're starting to kind of get into it and it's awesome
1: okay i don't often go out of order with podcasts i
0: hate doing that but i I might have to for that (laughs) i think you might i think you might (laughs) i might have to jump ahead (laughs) Yes, and I think those were all of my most re- or my things to mention, although the one thing I did want to mention is our, our newest Patreon episode came out last week, and so if you're not on the Patreon, you should be, because this most recent week, the case was the case of the Boston Strangler, and I not only read a whole book, but I listened to a couple podcasts and read a ton of news articles, so I did a lot of work for that. Uh, case, and I think, I think it's one of my favorite episodes that we've done together. Oh, hey. So, That's shout out to lot. our Patreon. I know, because we're awesome. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, before um,
1: we get started, yes. I wanted to tell you about something. Okay. So, as you know, it's early July when we're recording this. So I do know that, yes. This just happened. Okay. As you know, every corporation and business is tearing down all the rainbows And discarding anything remotely queer, you know. Always, yes. Probably sending them to hell or something. (laughs) Well, I saw some of these pride decorations on fire in the middle of the street the other day. So I approached them because, you know, I was like, what is this? Uh Uh-huh. When I pieced together some of the scraps, a message became really quite clear. Like a phoenix rising from the ashes. Exactly. Okay, what did it say? Riff from the headlines has a new Patreon. No. Yes. <laughs> I so, I can't
0: believe it. Can, this is shocking new information to me. Can
1: you believe it? 25,000. <laughs> so, if you're out there looking for a way to support queer art for more than just a month, you should join it. Absolutely. For $1 a month, that's less than a cu- that's less than a cup of coffee. <laughs> that's like <laughs> less than 5 cups of coffee. <laughs> right. You, yes you, can support us <laughs> Yes, us, in creating more content for you. Yeah. So if you'd like to join, there's the $1 level just to help us out. There's also a $5 level where you get an adorable little knife sticker designed by N, Mm -hmm. as well as access to our video episodes of Fashion Court, where we render our verdicts on the looks we've seen each month. And at our most popular tier for $10, you get all of that and bonus episodes of Ripped from the Headlines where...
0: We cover Law & Order SVU episodes instead. And you get to hear us talk about Chris Maloney's dump truck ass oh, all the time. Ah yes.
1: And uh, <laughs> you also get 10% off anything in our merch store, which yes. we have designed everything basically in there. So that's pretty exciting yeah. too. Go us. Go us. So you And can... go you. Go
0: <laughs> sign up to the Patreon. Go sign up. Oh, should we get into the episode? I'm ready. I'm ready too. All right. Here we go. It is episode... 18 of season two of Law and Order. It's very fresh in my mind because I literally finished watching it about 10 minutes ago. Ooh, perfect. I watched it this morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the episode is titled Cradle to Grave and, um, you know, it doesn't have a big meaning. I did look it up a little bit because I was like, maybe it has a special meaning other than just, you know, birth to death. Yeah, um, I, no, I think it's just birth to death, right? Basically, but it also refers to... Um, waste management and healthcare and it refers to when you're responsible for something from its creation to its disposal Mm, yes Mm. anyway so the episode begins and we start off in what feels like a a, a beginning into an entirely different show about like a nurse
0: (laughs) a nurse on the go (laughs) nurse nurse badass would be the title of this show because she is just running this entire hospital by herself it looks like Uh, no-nonsense nurse. (laughs)
1: No-nonsense nurse. That is No-nonsense nursing. (laughs) Uh, It's like a busy intake room she's in. She's managing what feels like an entire unit. She's taking names. She's kicking ass. She's doing it all. Yes. There's a moment where she has to, like, shoo away a custodian who's trying to flirt with her and woo her with tickets to Luther Vandross, of all things. (laughs) Two things. No disrespect to Luther Vandross or his fan base. The nurse is not 87 years old. That's correct. And when I hear of Luther Vandross, number two, I immediately think of Flavor of Love.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> when gosh.
1: Hottie said she looks like Beyonce and New York says, Beyonce, I think you look more like Luther Vandross. Yeah. She wasn't wrong. <laughs> she wasn't. I, I love that scene. I looked it up literally when I, when I heard Luther Vandross <laughs> and before I did this episode, I was like, oh, I have to look at the scene again. So good. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert. The nurse turns him down on this hot offer. And in the next scene, he's, you know, in this very busy hospital and he is just kind of cleaning up and he finds a baby in a box. Mm -hmm. So he brings it to the nurse, the nurse's station. And there's a, there's a new doctor. He says that it looks to him like the baby froze to death, but, um, you know, I don't know. And Logan and Seretta think it's kind of weird because the way the baby looks It seems like he was well cared for up until, Mm -hmm. you know, his death. It's death, yeah. And the doctor says, what's a kid like this doing outside in the cold? And (laughs) Sereta says, what's any kid doing out in the cold? Drama.
0: It's a fair question, though. I lived for that moment. I did. (laughs) There are, yeah, there are some moments in this
1: episode. And then the opening credits begin. And I thought I'd use this time to develop a skill a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I ordered and received child's language learning software, Muzzy, <laughs> in every language available, <laughs> and I can now say, just me last in fee.
0: Congratulations.
1: <laughs> yes, that's French I'm speaking, and no, I'm not French. I'm American. You got,
0: you got every language, and the one thing you learned was what they said on the commercial. <laughs> and we're back. I wanted Muzzy so bad growing up. Oh, 100%. Begged. My parents. I don't know if I ever asked for Muzzy, but I know that I desperately wanted Muzzy. And this is why I don't speak Spanish. (laughs) Because of a lack of Muzzy in your Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. Well, now I can say I think I'm a young girl in
1: French. (laughs) (laughs) In French. (laughs) So we're back, and they end up visiting a daycare in the city that's very busy and large. And the caretaker there is... Not overwhelmed, but has a lot on her hands. And she says, you know, we don't take any kids under toddler age. And, you know, the child that they had was an infant. Cutbacks have forced them to be more restrictive. And she supposes that maybe putting more funding into childcare rather than military and weapons would be a good mm. idea.
0: What a radical thought. Radical. Giving money to education. Huh. Who would have thunk it? So strange.
1: So she says before they leave, do you know a woman who doesn't work, by the way? What are we supposed to be doing with our kids? To which they have
0: no answer. And why is it so often the woman's problem to figure that out, by the way? Also fair. Always. Can I I just say this episode had about mm, 75,000 characters in it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, yes. I skipped quite a few. Okay, good, because I was like, there are a lot of, like, leads and questions and interviews that don't go anywhere in this episode. Yeah, and there was a character that I I thought was pointless, and I didn't realize till later that they weren't. Oh, isn't that the worst, when when you're taking notes on the episode and you're like, do I have to put this in? (laughs) Totally jumped over this person
1: (laughs) until later, but we'll get to that. So they find out from this child care facility that there's a place, a church called St. Julia's that used to take an in infant. So why not try that? They go down there and find nothing. So <clears throat> they move on. Then they chase down a different lead. Apparently the kid was wearing a bunny suit, which I don't recall ever being mentioned or on camera until this moment.
0: No, they just started talking about a bunny suit, and I was like, "What a bunny suit? <laughs> was it Easter? I don't. Was it Halloween? Maybe I don't it was know. like a bunny print onesie or something. Um, may- maybe, but I feel like they're at a costume shop, aren't they? That's true. You're
1: right. You're right. So bizarre. So they go to this costume shop, as I was just <laughs> spoiled for you all, <laughs> and they ask. They speak to a shop owner who says that she never saw the kid. And she also doesn't love how Logan grabs her arm. And neither did I.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And eventually her son gives her up that, you know, they were in here. She saw, he saw the mom. He even helped the alleged mother up to her apartment with the playpen that day. So they go to the building and they find her apartment. And it's kind of a shithole, you know. (laughs) But the nursery is a decent size, actually, for being crappy. I was like, yeah, there's a lot of room in there. They ask a neighbor about the missing woman and child, and she basically says, good riddance. They were noisy, just like the last tenant. <laughs> Slams the door. <laughs> and just then they speak to another tenant, and he's coming home from what looks like the gym or something. But don't get excited. There's nothing to be excited about. <laughs> There's a... He just says, you know, he didn't really know her. He says, listen, I only live in these apartments because they're rent controlled. I pay like like 240 bucks a month or something. And uh, sorry, I can't help
0: you. And he refused to let them into his apartment. Can you imagine any single place you could rent in New York currently for $240 a month? I
1: literally felt like I had a back spasm when that moment happened. (laughs) And I I thought I was going to have to call an ambulance because I feel like $240 a month in any place I've ever lived, forget about here, would be like standing on a four tile space on a kitchen floor and not being able to get (laughs) off of it. (laughs) the floor is lava
0: the
1: floor is lava and they except for where they tape a little square (laughs) so they check with the agency that's rent controlling this apartment and that collects the rent and they speak with a woman who I thought was cast a little miscast I think that she was auditioning for like a league of their own like a scrappy (laughs) baseball gal (laughs) and they were like, you want to work for, like, an agency in law and order? And she's like, can I still act all the same ways but just wear business suits? And they're (laughs) like, sure. (laughs) So she says that at that apartment there's an Adele Loftus renting, and it's been for decades. She's been paying $230 a month for decades. So they do a little digging, and they see that Miss Loftus died a year ago, and that the person who paid for the burial and all of the arrangements was a Charlie Ward. Hmm. Or Charlene Ward. They follow up with the address that they get from the <laughs> graveyard of all places, where Soretta says he
0: likes to hang out. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Saretta. Interesting. A little <laughs> a little detail there. I feel like I know somebody who goes on jogs through cemeteries at night. Hey, um, it ain't me. I mean it's gotta be quiet. <laughs> I mean, I
1: hope. (laughs) (laughs) So they follow up with the address, and they find a woman named Charlene, who opens the door and tells them that Miss Loftus was their grandmother, nothing to see here, and they don't know anything about any other person, any woman, whatever. And they're like, are you sure? And she's like, I got a sister. She has a kid, but she's not here. She doesn't go there. Get out of here. They start to threaten her a little bit, and they say, you know, we are going to we can get a search warrant or we can come in and make it easy, you know, and they try to like smooth it in. And she's like, go get mm-hmm. a search warrant,
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. which is
1: good for her. As you should. As you should. But then before anything else could happen, <laughs> like nothing major happens to spur this on either. No. Jackie, the woman they're looking for just waltzes out of a back room like nothing. She <laughs> says, I did something wrong and you know, it's time basically. So in the next scene, they have her in questioning with her lawyer present. And she says that, She was working, and a neighbor named Serena usually comes and takes care of Henry, her son, while she's away. And so she really had to go to work. There wasn't much time between when Serena would have gotten there and when she was leaving. And so she left, and when she got home after midnight, her son was still there, and he wasn't moving, and it was really cold. So she brought him immediately to the hospital, and she was so out of her mind, she didn't know what to do. She didn't mean to leave him. She just panicked. Yeah. So they're like, okay, let's follow this up. They go back and question this neighbor girl, who's very cute, by the way, but her
0: acting. Not good. Not good. Very not good. It was terrible. I I would like to point out, and this should show up on Fashion Court, she appears to be wearing a hybrid scrunchy banana clip claw
1: oh yeah in innovation
0: in her hair it's there's like just purple, like
1: purple right <laughs> yeah there's
0: like three plastic spirals of purple holding up her ponytail the little i dream of genie <laughs> it is it is i love that also i forgot to mention she's actually a
1: guest star oh really yeah she is chandra wilson and i don't watch the show but she's been on Grey's anatomy or was on Grey's anatomy for like 16 years Grey's Anatomy has been on for 16 years? It was on. For, I don't know if it's still on, but it was on for 16 years, according to <sighs> Wikipedia or IMDB or wherever I found out that, that shot Wilson sh- is Dr. Miranda Bailey. That show should not have
0: been on for 16 minutes. It was terrible. <laughs> I also read that it has two spinoffs. Ugh, of course. <laughs> I guess I she must have worked on her acting a lot since this episode of Law & Order.
1: Yeah, she's, she seems to have been in a lot of stuff after that. So, I mean, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> well, anybody who's a diehard fan out there, sorry that I <laughs> just roasted her for her terrible acting. And anyone who is a diehard fan out there, watch this episode and you'll understand why we did. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And also write in and explain to me why the fuck Grey's Anatomy was on for 16 years.
1: Don't even get me. I don't, I've never seen an episode, but it takes a lot don't. for me to get into
0: like a hospital procedural thing. It's so bad. Bad acting, bad chemistry. Sandra O oh is good, but that's it. I do love her. Just watch uh, Killing
1: Eve and get... That's fine. <laughs> so she... So this actress, she says that her subway got backed up that day, and when she showed up a little bit late later in the day, that the super told her to get away, to go away. Like he didn't even know who she was, even though she's been there many times. And she said that the super also told her that Jackie and Henry had already left. So... She just left. Yeah. and they check with the super, he's pretty tight-lipped. And I didn't mention it before because it didn't seem relevant, but it comes up a few times. He seems to have very limited comprehension in English. He's mostly a Spanish speaker. Yes. And at first, Logan thinks he's kind of like faking it and like selective with it, which is kind of alluded to in the episode, but I'm not really sure. Yeah. It's kind of strange how they handle that character, I think. it it is and so in any event he says this time he doesn't know anything about any of this he did not see any girl come by and tell her to go home but when they look in his apartment he has six space heaters in the
0: apartment Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) um okay it's the kind of space heaters that are very open that they almost look like
0: tin foil on the inside yes they get very red when they're on you know those type I do. And I'm sorry, if this building is as run down as they are making us believe in the show, there's not a chance that you could have that many space heaters plugged in in one apartment and not like shut down the power for the entire building.
1: The whole block. I feel like the, the whole yeah. block would be out of power or the, <laughs> the whole apartment building would be on fire. And at the very least, he would be the Based sheen. Alive. He'd be a rotisserie chicken. they would have to identify him as one of the roasts at kfc would it be ridiculous but he is not even sweating he's not even sweating i'm like what is going on here i'm sweating right now and there's no (laughs) space heaters in my apartment my house right so the theory that they're running with after all this is that the landlord is trying to force people out of the apartment he's making it really cold and uninhabitable while he's sitting in the heat so that they can get everybody out and then renovate it and then, you know, make more money off of it. No more rent control.
0: Counterpoint, he's trying to turn his apartment into the core of the earth and heat the rest of the apartment building (laughs) from the interior.
1: (laughs) Very good point. Or or he's opening a food truck business where he's actually (laughs) uh, selling fried pieces of his flesh. (laughs) God. Uh, Jackie tells them in the next scene that She's never complained about the place being so cold or run down before, only because it was her grandma's place, and she thought she'd end up in a shelter, and so would Henry, but that the heat was always on and off since she'd been there, and since the new super was put on duty especially. It's gotten really bad. They tracked down the landlord, and her name is Iris Corman, and she's essentially a known slumlord. Yes, And I didn't realize that Iris Corman is the lady they checked out earlier who acts like the female baseball player.
0: I I thought she was somebody new too, so you're not alone
1: in that. So when she shows up a little later as Iris, I was like, oh, that, oh, okay, I know, okay, you're important. So they interview some folks who took that buyout from her that she was offering them to leave the rent control department, which is why it's so sparsely inhabited now. Mm-hmm. And they all say the same thing, basically, that- It was actually Turner, who's that weird tenant guy, who I also didn't think was going to be very important. Turner, not the super, is the creepy guy in the apartment who's making things hard for everybody.
0: Yeah, he just appears to be a hired asshole who bullies people in the building. I was really unclear what his role was. He
1: doesn't have a- he just lives in the building as a tenant, but he's actually moonlighting as a bully. (laughs) Yes. I, I don't even know. So- He's the one who's giving everyone a hard time. He even showed up in one tenant's living room unannounced. Of a and there was a woman that they allude to who died of pneumonia in the apartment. I think. Yes. Why don't we talk about that? But anyway, <laughs> they show up and they arrest the super. And they coincidentally, at the same time, are arriving as Turner is fixing slash busting a lock on an elderly woman's door right in the hallway.
0: Yeah. What was that? It looked like he had a wrench. That it looked like a scene from Clue. He had the wrench in his hand and there was an old woman screaming bloody murder. But it he was. appeared to be just like slamming a wrench against a doorknob. Mm-hmm. He was <laughs> which I don't her- think is how you fix anything. No, no. And I love that the cops burst in in the
1: room and arrest the, the guy downstairs in the hallway. Yes. He hears it all happening. He's literally just up the stairs. And he continues right. to break this lock. On he doesn't run. He doesn't hide in his apartment. He continues he to break stop. the lock and says yeah. things like, "I'm fixing your lock, lady." And she's <laughs> like, oh, "No, I didn't even watch my lock." So it's very ridiculous. And I will tell you, I know it was a hammer in his hand because as Logan arrests him, he says, "Oh, you just got you nailed." Got nailed.
0: <laughs> I literally, I think I did one of those like, <laughs> like disbelief at how stupid that line was. Kind of like laughs, laughs where I was like. Uh.
1: The order side now begins, you know, as it always starts out, the DA's team is discussing all their options and what they're going to try to do, and they decide they're going to try for manslaughter if they can, but the only way they can think of getting anybody to, any jury to go go for manslaughter is to try to get the chain of command to roll on each other, respectively, up the chain. And so, they try with the super first, whose name, by the way, is Mr. Torado, I didn't mention that earlier. Yeah. So... Mr. Torado and his lawyer agree for him to talk if he is able to plead for, I think, reckless endangerment. And they say, sure. And so he says that Turner told him that, you know, if he messes with the pipes, then they can get the people out. And when he went to go fix the furnace, Turner is the one who stopped him. So they talk to Turner and he tries to take advantage of his white privilege and calls the super illiterate. And he mm-hmm. doesn't know what he's talking about, tries to discount him as a witness And then they mentioned, you know, pretty serious charges that Turner could get. And he basically laughs and is like, I'm so scared. (laughs) And Stone is like, well, someone better tell this guy the facts of life. And his lawyer says, listen, he knows them better than we do. And Robin is like, oh, my God, I love that show. Oh, my God. right? I'm totally a Natalie. Is anyone a Blair? (laughs) (laughs) I never watched the facts of Ah! life. I loved the facts of life. So... They basically are alluding to the fact that Turner is uh seasoned he's been through he's well seasoned trash basically
0: <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's a rotisserie chicken so- oh no, this is Turner,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, the other guy's a rotisserie chicken. this guy's just well seasoned trash. he has been through the system a few times, he knows what to do, he knows what his limitations are, so they walk out and they go into chambers with the judge because they're trying to decide what can be allowed and if they're even going to go for manslaughter. And Mr. Big Shot defense attorney all of a sudden is reduced to a whiny baby because Judge Margaret Barry, who, by the way, is my favorite old school like law and order judge, mm. she allows all of his previous crimes, Mr. Turner's, into evidence. On trial, a previous tenant is brought to the stand and she says that Turner smacked her across the
0: face. Right? And she had to get stitches <laughs> for approaching the boiler room. I'm not laughing that he hit her in the face, but I, I'm just like, what? what is his role in the building? He's literally a hired bully.
1: And you will, and it was like, okay,
0: I'm just yes. pissed
1: and I'm going to move? He slapped you across the face and you got stitches. He's a neighbor. Yeah. I'm, for going towards the boiler room. Where am <laughs> I? And it's just part of the case, like no big deal. <laughs> and then they bring another, um, they bring Serena to the stand and she testifies that, Turner is actually the one who turned her away. Ha. Uh, uh-huh. Eh? Uh? Uh? Nope. No. <laughs> well, that's what she says, though. It wasn't Toronto. It was Turner. And on cross-examination, she doesn't do too great because she didn't even know who the super was. Then they have, and I'm glad I pointed this out because they have an interpreter for the super on the stand. Oh, my God. And her. they found the whitest woman they could find. With the most, like, Wonder Bread version of the translation you could even hear at, as it's happening. And also,
0: she has full... Uh, <laughs> who was the Drag Race judge that I brought up last, last oh, week? Aubrey O'Day. A- Aubrey O'Day. She has full Eyeballs? Aubrey O'Day eyes. Like, her eyes are popping out of her face. Popping
1: out of her face. It's just the most ridiculous person to be an interpreter in the case. Yes. He says on the stand through the interpreter, that Mr. Turner had threatened him about turning the boiler on, and that um, he had helped Turner harass tenants before in in some ways, and that um, Turner had, when he went to go turn the boiler on, that he had, like, pulled him away. Then they get Jackie on the stand, and she testifies that Henry was alone for seven hours, and when she got home that night, she could see her breath in the apartment. It was so cold. The defense argues, however, that she should have been more responsible and proactive with her childcare arrangements. The jury returns a guilty verdict of manslaughter, two, And Stone is, you know, pretty psyched. And shortly before the court adjourns, we learn that a jury is actually calling into question the translation of Toronto's testimony. Yes. And I was like, ugh, I knew this woman was going to F it up. Me, too. I knew it. So it turns out that our translator, who looks like she just probably made a jello salad for her family. <clears throat> she got the verb for pulled mixed up with the word ordered and i looked into that and i don't really see how you could really fix those words up because they're very very different yeah but the judge is forced to call a mistrial so the defense decides that they should try for a deal and schiff really urges the team to take some kind of deal because they don't think on retrial they're going to do very well and they offer a deal where both turner and this iris woman iris is, I feel like throughout the episode is just wearing like these costumey sort of business suits that she looks like she belongs in like a theme, a different themed restaurant in every scene. You know what I mean? Like, or she should be like escorting you around a tour of like Disneyland meeting like Goofy and like Mrs. Potts. She's not <laughs> ever dressed like a regular person in the real world. So she is now being featured more. She's disgusted 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 with the idea that she would be charged with something like this and she and turner are like in a room being questioned or you know trying to discuss maybe a deal and they're acting like boris and natasha yeah uh total bad guys and she says something like well if we can't get the deal we want maybe mr Torado will forget his testimony and there's this like moment of like intensity where stone's like are you threatening us the next scene features you know stone trying to figure everything out and he's wearing a cardigan again not to be outdone, the softer side of stone <laughs> the softer side of stone not to be outdone Schiff is wearing a fedora that appears to be made of felt <laughs> and while they were playing dress up we find out that robinette has discovered that iris has been bribing somebody bribing somebody you say yes i'm shocked she seems like such a nice person i can't believe it she has such virtue in the last scene apparently there's a new inspector on the block conveniently and he always rules in her favor so they can't really prove there's a bribe going on and Robin has a bright idea to set up a kind of a sting so really quickly it seems they get a whole operation set up in this covert building to catch the new building inspector in the act of accepting a bribe. And they're using a yes. posting as a landlord. The inspector shows up and asks for $300 cash to make something go away. And bam, he's arrested. His only option at this point seems to be to confess and give up any um, property owner that bribed him. And they're like, you can start with Iris. And then a little like, episode marker pops up on the screen. You know, with a the t- like, title card oh there you go yeah like a title card which they've been doing I can't believe they even still do this but mm-hmm. it pops up on the screen and it tells the ending of the episode which is on the second day of the trial Joseph Turner pled to reckless endangerment in the first degree agreeing to a sentence of two and a third to seven years he testified against Iris Corman she was convicted of manslaughter in the first degree and is currently free on bail a pending appeal and that's the end of the
0: episode that was a weird episode it was a little bizarre wasn't it Oh, well, great job. Thank you. Thank you. Are you ready for the true crime? I'm very ready. I'm very curious. Okay, so this one was a little bit strange because this episode technically was inspired by a real-life event, but as I researched it, there really wasn't enough to tell a story hmm. without, you know, what they did, which is a bunch of fiction. Yeah. Um. So I did a separate case. Okay. Again. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say just really quickly, the case was based on the story of Brittany Eichelberger, who at three years old, her like parents fell asleep and she opened the front door and got lost in like a snowstorm and uh, ended up at the hospital, was declared dead, but then she was brought, not brought back to life, but the doctors saved her life. Huh. So the real life case is a little more like Christmas miracle. It is really, honestly. Well, good for her. so the case the case I'm doing is very much not a uh, Christmas miracle mm. um, this is we've talked about how uh, when there's not a like super direct case we could opt to cover something different and so I did that and I'm covering a story of one of the missing and murdered indigenous women in the United States mm, okay so this is the story this is not the story I've heard but her name is Kesara stops pretty places. And before I get into her actual story, I just want to talk a little bit about missing and murdered Indigenous women, and also just give a shout out to. I listened to a couple of podcasts uh, who also covered this case, and so those are Crime and Crime Again, and another called Case Files, mm. and then there was also a documentary called Say Her Name that uh, featured the story of Kesara Stops Pretty Places.
1: Is uh, Case Files related to the TV show?
0: I'm not sure, actually. Not sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the rate at which indigenous women in the United States and Canada go missing or are killed has been described as a human rights crisis by multiple nations. Indigenous women are murdered at a rate 10 times higher than the national average. Indigenous women in Canada are three to three and a half times more likely to be a victim of violence related relative to other women. Mm. Um, Whereas in the United States, indigenous women are twice as likely. And homicide is the third leading cause of death for young Indigenous women aged 10 to 24, which is horrifying. Yeah, wow. Um, indigenous women are also much more likely to be the target of sexual assault. Approximately one in three Indigenous women is sexually assaulted during her life, relative to one in four in the general population. Mm. Uh, The perpetrators overwhelmingly come from outside the Native American community. Data shows that 67% of the assaults of Indigenous women are by men outside of their race. Their cases are significantly less likely to be prosecuted, mainly due to jurisdictional issues. Um, Well, I shouldn't say mainly, but in large part because of jurisdictional issues, because um, there can be confusion over t- over whether federal, state, or tribal mm-hmm. law prevails in a lot of these cases, and so sometimes there can be a bit of like hot potatoing where people are like, "Nope, not mine." Yeah, yeah. I would imagine that is probably a,
1: a good uh, indicator of w- why these women are targeted.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Most data shows that 95% of the cases involving missing and murdered Indigenous women receive no news coverage. 95%. Yeah. Reservations are often bordered by some agricultural industries and also like mining and logging and fossil fuel industries. And some of the articles that I read talk about how those industries in these kind of rural areas create kind of a high rate of transient male workers. Essentially, like a lot of men work in those industries, and there's a lot of like travel between different locations, a lot of trucking, Mm -hmm. a lot of kind of seasonal workers, or, you know, a a lot of change in like, who is going through those industries in those areas. Yeah. So missing and murdered Indigenous women are also less likely to be input into databases of missing and murdered people. Of the 5,717 missing and murdered Indigenous women in 2018... (sighs) So that's in one year, 5,717 missing and murdered Indigenous women, 116 were in the Department of Justice Missing Persons Database. Wow. So that's like 5,600 who are not in the database. And that's only of Of reported
1: ones in a year.
0: Yes, reported. (laughs) I mean, holy crap. Yes. There, there. Some of the articles also talked about the factors that contribute to the higher rates of violence against Indigenous women, and a lot of them mentioned um, poverty as being a large contributor to their uh, vulnerability, uh, because a lot of Indigenous women are living in rural areas, they don't have a car, and so they're often relying on public transportation or hitchhiking. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is not meant to... Uh, imply that this is the universal experience, but this is what a lot of the articles describe as factors that contribute to violence against Indigenous women. Um, So in the state of Montana, where our story takes place today, um, the Native citizens only make up 6.7% of the population, but comprise 26% of the missing persons cases. (laughs) Yikes. So this this uh, the story of Casera stops pretty places is in an area called Bighorn County, which is a, a county in Montana, and it's a pretty small rural area. The population is only about twelve or thirteen thousand people. Mm. It's also the second poorest county in the state, with twenty three point five percent people living below the poverty line. Oh man! The Bighorn County also includes. Portions of the Crow and Northern Cheyenne reservations, which do occupy a large percentage of the county's area, it's about sixty-four percent of the county, and the Northern Cheyenne reservation, or sorry, the Crow reservation, is sixty-four percent of the county. The Northern Cheyenne reservation is about six point three percent. Oh wow! Sixty-four percent of Bighorn County is Native American, while thirty-one point four percent is white, and the remaining like point percentages or like one or two percentages are. Of other races, mm-hmm. okay. So, Kesara stops pretty places. Was a young woman. She was athletic. A lot of the articles I read uh, talked about how she played basketball. She was even on the football team. She ran cross country, um, and she was also known as uh, pretty smart as well. Her aunt, uh, Doctor Grace Bulltail, is assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin Madison Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies. Mm-hmm. And Sarah would assist her with her research. So she was involved. She was smart. She was active. She was also a performer. She sang in the choir and had performed in kind of like local play productions. And she stated that she had dreams of becoming an actress.
1: Oh, man. She just seems so multifaceted.
0: I know. Um, her uncle described her as, quote, a radiant girl with a golden complexion, a happy and joyful child with an old soul.
1: Hmm.
0: So she lived in the Muddy Creek area of the Northern Cheyenne Reservation with her grandmother Yolanda Fraser, who, or Fraser F-R-A-S-E-R, I'm not sure what the correct pronunciation of her name is, um, who was also her legal guardian. On August 24th, 2019, Kaysera went to her aunt Purcellia's house with a friend, and later they decided to go out in the town of Hardin, which is just a half mile away from the Crow Reservation um, boundary. So this was 10 days after her 18th birthday, and her friend's name is not mentioned in any of the articles I read, but on the Case Files episode, the person talks about how that friend's name is never revealed because they're a minor.
1: Oh, okay. And she was 19, you said?
0: 18. Or she just
1: was, she just turned 18. Just turned 18. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense.
0: So she was scheduled to visit with her mom, Geraldine Bulltail Stops, the next day to talk about in an upcoming trip to North Dakota. Um, some of the articles say it was for a 4th of July Cheyenne powwow. However, Kaysera never showed up to the meeting with her mother, and text messages to her cell phone from her grandmother, Yolanda, went unanswered. Hmm. On August 25th, her aunt Purcellia went to the Bighorn County Police Department to file a missing persons report for Case Sarah When she arrived, she was told that she had to wait 24 hours to file a missing persons report. This almost in in almost all states in the United States, is not true. That 24-hour window is something that people think because of media, and it, it may have been true in the past, but it is not true. So you do not have to wait 24 hours to report a child or adult missing.
1: I was just um, going to ask that, if it was adults yeah. too.
0: Wow. What? Yes, and not everyone knows that, including some of the articles talked about how, like, including some police, like, think that that 24-hour window is is correct. I would have
1: guessed that there was some sort of, like, 24-hour window.
0: Yeah, I would have guessed. 100%. I mean, I thought that until I was reading about this. Wild. Okay, and so police often will kind of cite that, in part, to dissuade people from filing a report because they, they're like, well, they'll probably show up if they're an adult.
1: Well, I, I imagine that if everybody didn't think there was a window that... Of course, in in with all the actual missing persons cases, you'd get a lot of like, uh, you know, sleeping over a friend's house, seeing a girlfriend, you know, being drunk and passed out somewhere. Understand that that's probably not something that they have uh, the resources to deal with.
0: Yeah. But as we know, from being true crime people, the first 12 to 24 hours of missing persons investigations are the most critical. So when when people are dissuaded from submitting that report, and the person does end up being missing, it's not great. No, that's terrible. I'm so
1: glad you found that out and that you're saying this on this episode, because I really honestly think that's really important for people to hear.
0: Yes. And actually, one of the things that I read was a post by a police officer who said, if you ever go to file a missing persons report and receive any response less than, okay, I'll start that report right now, ask to speak to their supervisor. Mm, Okay. So to add to this, in Montana, anyone under... This was mentioned in a couple of the articles, but when I did a little bit of like searching to find out Montana law, I couldn't verify this. But um, in case file, which was pretty well researched, uh, they talk about how anyone under 21 in Montana can can be qualified as a child for a missing person's report. and anytime a child goes missing in Montana, the police have an obligation within two hours to notify all active officers of the missing child and to reassign officers to search. Wow. So on August 25th, when Kaysera's aunt, Priscilla, went to file the report, the police said she's probably just out with friends, and they dismissed her or sent her home. Kaysera's name ultimately was never entered into a database for missing persons. On August 29th, five days after her disappearance, a jogger found the body of a young woman in a suburban backyard next to the house in the neighborhood where Kaysera had last been seen. On social media... um, Their family members had heard that people were circulating rumors about a body having been discovered, and somebody posted that it was, quote, one of the Stops girls, and Kaysera's surname is sometimes attributed as Stops because that's a a family name. Hmm, okay. Um, so members of Kaysera's family went to the scene and requested to identify the body so that they could determine if it was Kaysera, but the officers on scene refused to allow that to happen. I assume that's actually pretty common. Yeah. On September 1st, Kaysera's mother and grandmother went to the Bullis Mortuary where the body of the young woman was being kept, and again requested to see the body so that they could identify if it was Kaysera. They were informed that the body that had been recovered was not Kaysera. So they were relieved, but still searching for Kaysera because she was missing. Oh
1: my gosh, okay.
0: The family continued their search for 10 days, and on September 11th, the police informed the family that the body that they had found was actually Kaysera. And she had died on August 26th, two days after her disappearance. Wow. So that is during the period when the police had refused to file a missing persons report, meaning that it's possible that had they filed that report, Kaysera might have been found alive. Right. This also means that police knew that they had Kaysera's body for almost two weeks before notifying the family, who was frantically searching for her. Of course. Yeah. So... In addition, the location, This her story is very... I was just incensed when I was reading this story. So Kaysera's body, where it was found is right next to a very busy road, like lots of cars drive by, lots of foot traffic. And so one of the kind of w- big question marks is why was her body not found at that location five days after her disappearance unless it was moved to that location? Mm, right. Right? So when her family was notified that the body located had been Kesera's, her grandmother Yolanda and her father Alan Stops went to the scene to see if they could learn anything. And they discovered that the scene where Kaysera's body was found was not cordoned off or marked as a crime scene. Which meant that anybody could walk through, contaminate, destroy, remove evidence at any point since her disappearance.
1: So we're really strict about making sure that nobody comes on the crime scene to identify the body, but afterwards, it's just a free-for-all.
0: 100%. Unbelievable. So the owner of the property—you're—just get ready. The owner of the property where Kaysera's body was found was never questioned by police. Of course. Why? There was also—I <laughs> I mean, I, there there seems to be both combination of— under-resourcing of police and investigation and also dismissing the concerns of the local Native population uh, and just, like, fucking up. Not a good combination. Not a good combination. So... There was also a lapse in the investigation in her case early on because the officer who had been assigned as the primary investigator of the case, was um, he recused himself from the case a few days after it was assigned to him, reportedly telling his superiors that he was unequipped to handle a case of this magnitude. Oh, wow. I will say that one thing I heard on the Case Files with was that this police department was so small that they only have two active police officers at any time, and then they cover over 5,000 square miles. Wow. So it, it does sound, based on some of the things that I read in that Case Files episode, that there really wasn't a lot of people power to investigate anything, mm-hmm. not to make excuses, just to kind of maybe provide context. a little bit of context. Yeah. So, the police also never interviewed any member of Quesera's family, nor any persons of interest in her case. They ignored tips from family members and community members, and they also refused to execute search warrants. <laughs> On September 19th, Kaysera's grandmother, Yolanda, upset that Kaysera's uh, case had not received any media attention, contacted a reporter at the Billings Gazette, and he told her that the Bighorn County Police Department had never notified the media that there had been a missing person or that a body had been found, and the police department never circulated her image on missing posters or any other channels of public communication.
1: Like, what was done?
0: (laughs) Uh, not a lot. So... As a couple of news articles about her death did surface, one of them, which was in the Billings Gazette, mentioned that Kaysera's body was found wrapped in plastic or garbage bags. But the family still doesn't know if that's true, because the officials have not shared that information with them, and it um, hasn't shown up in any other news media. But of course, the the police, which I'll get to, blamed this on her just uh, drinking too much and being out in the cold. Mm. But if she was found wrapped in plastic, that definitely lends credence to a foul play right. involvement in this situation. So the same day, they managed to secure a meeting with the investigating officer, whose name is Captain Mike Fuss. And when the family arrived, Captain Fuss reportedly didn't know who they were and was confused as to why they were there. Okay, okay. The family asked why he had been ignoring their calls, and he said he was busy with other cases. Um, oh, okay. Thank. <laughs> you. Well, that, then I understand. <laughs> right. And in the Case Files episode, they did some research to look at kind of the frequency of missing and murdered cases in Bighorn County. Mm. And there's, like, usually never more than one at a time. Mm. So, like, if he was, his attention was on other cases... They probably weren't of the severity of this case. Yeah. So the family, um, they asked why the scene wasn't cordoned off or marked as a crime scene. And he responded that if the investigating officer arrives to the scene first, it does not have to be secured, which, again, does not appear to be true. Mm hmm. They also asked if they had been able to secure any information off of K. Sarah's cell phone because her cell phone was with her and the police had it. And Captain Fuss, this is a, a direct quote from many, many of the articles that I read. He replied that the phone could he could not get into that kind of phone. Quote: Not even the FBI can break into that kind of phone. Really? I'm sorry. The FBI is on our phones. Right? You can't break. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Ridiculous. And and in case files, they I think talked to members of the FBI, and the FBI was like, there's no phones that we can't get into. Hello. <laughs> yeah. So on September 21st, um, Bighorn County Sheriff, whose name is Lawrence Big Hair, met with Dr. Grace Bulltail and Cedar Bulltail, Kaysera's uncle, at their home, and he informed them that the coroner had, quote, snatched Kaysera's remains... And he had to take the body back to the crime lab for further analysis. So let's talk about this uh, coroner. Mm -hmm. So the coroner was a man named Terry Bullis. He also was the owner of the local mortuary, Bullis Mortuary. When initially speaking with the family, Bullis told Kisera's family that the cause of her death, quote, was likely drugs or alcohol, although they had not performed any inspection and no toxicology reports (laughs) had come back at that point. So, this was purely speculative and also offensive for a number of reasons. Number one, it's blaming the victim. Number two, whenever you have rates with uh, or populations with higher rates of poverty, there are also higher rates of drug and alcohol use. But it's grossly overgeneralizing and offensive to just assume that she was drinking or using drugs and that it resulted in her death. Yeah. Yeah. Captain Fuss would also repeat that same sort of line Oh, I'm sure she just died from drugs or alcohol. And, again, toxicology reports would later show that there were no drugs in Kaysera's system. On December 18th, Terry Bullis contacted Kaysera's mother, Geraldine, and informed her that Kaysera's remains— so this is the mortuary guy, the Mm coroner— called Kaysera's mother, Geraldine, and informed her that Kaysera's remains could not be released to the family until she was cremated. That is not a law, by the way. What the hell? And he basically kind of— badgered her until she agreed to it because she she was she later says like he told me there we would never get her remains if she wasn't cremated right well what are they what are they to think Uh, right however Kaysera's mother was not her legal guardian and so technically her grandmother was the only one who should have that legal right to approve her body being cremated but she was not contacted and so Kaysera was cremated this went against the family's cultural beliefs, um, preventing them from having a proper burial and As an official cause of death had yet to be identified, it destroyed potentially crucial evidence when Kaysera's father and grandmother went to pick up her remains is when they found out that she was cremated. Wow, they also told them that the remains weren't there, and they might not arrive in time to uh be for to arrive for the service that they had planned for the next day. Oh, wow. Terry Bullis, in addition to being the coroner, as I said, owns this Bullis mortuary, and uh, he, a lot of people point out this conflict of interest that you really shouldn't be, like, the funeral home dealing with the body, and also the coroner in this case, who Hmm. potentially is, like, investigating and performing autopsies. Yeah. (laughs) So... And add to this, Terry Bullis has been reprimanded by the state board for violations involving another indigenous woman in Bighorn County, where he embalmed her body before the family was notified she was dead. And then demanded that the family pay him for those services, which they did not ask for or approve before he would release her remains to them. Wow, that's ballsy. So he's a fucking winner. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's look at another twist in this case. (sighs) An interesting fact that a lot of people point to as a factor that could contribute to foul play is that only days before Kaysera's disappearance, she had filmed a video and posted it to social media. The content of the video was an incident where police officers were beating Kaysera's younger brother Mm. while at a local fair. Kaysera's younger brother was a wheelchair user, so there are multiple police beating the shit out of a 15-year-old child in a wheelchair.
1: Wow.
0: The video showed involvement by a number of Bighorn County officers, including the officer who was assigned to lead the investigation into her disappearance. And that's the officer who was also the first to the scene where her body was discovered. Oh my god. In response to the video, the officers were reprimanded. Oh, oh, thank God.
1: Because now yeah. I feel so much better now. Whew.
0: Yeah. Whew. So what did they
1: do. They got restricted
0: like pizza for the day. <laughs> Probably. So, very odd coincidence that these things all happened within quick succession of each other. Yeah. A woman named Mary Catherine Nagel, who is a lawyer for the Pipestem Law Firm, um, became a really fierce advocate for uh, Kaysera's case and demanded justice for her case. And the Pipestem Law Firm website actually has a webpage dedicated specifically to Kaysera. And there they give a detailed description of all of the events and a really comprehensive timeline. So big, big shout out to Pipestem Law Firm for providing that information because it was really helpful for researching this case and also great for getting accurate information out there. Yeah. So Pipestem Law Firm states that they, quote, are a law firm dedicated to the preservation and restoration of tribal sovereignty and jurisdiction to ensure safety for Native women and children. So it appears to be a a driving force of this law firm. That's great. On their website, they state declaratively that Kaysera was murdered. And they state, quote, Shame on law enforcement for forcing our families to investigate these horrendous crimes themselves. Shame on them for letting heinous murders of Indigenous women like Kesera go unpunished. Shame on them for not valuing the lives of our Native women and girls. So Quecera's family continues to believe that she was a victim of foul play, and they advocated for the federal government to get involved in the investigation. Um, by the way, everything I read just talked about how Dr. Grace Bulltail her uh father, her uh multiple aunts were like doing everything they could to first locate her when they thought she was missing and then advocate for an investigation after her body was discovered.
1: Yeah, it sounds like they really did all the all uh, the yeah. foundation work and <laughs> literally and all, and all the
0: work. <laughs> yeah. So in January of 2020, the FBI informed the family that they would not get involved as Kaysera's body was found only half a mile from reservation lands, and thus local police department held jurisdiction. Again, Catherine Nagel points out that there's no evidence to show whether or not Kaysera was killed on tribal lands, and thus the FBI should at least be involved in investigating the case. Right. So Kaysera's family, along with the Sovereign Bodies Institute and the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center, as well as the attorneys at Pipestem and Nagel, coordinated a series of daily events last year from August 24th to September 11th, designed to honor Kaysera's memory and to demand justice for her. Mm. Dr. Grace Bulltail, Kaysera's aunt, stated, quote, quote, The goal of these events are first and foremost to honor the life and memory of my niece Kaysera. She would have been 19 just three short days ago, and those responsible for ending her life must be brought to justice. On this one-year anniversary of her murder, my hope and prayer is that our call for justice for Kaysera will shed a light on the injustices that our Native families face, not just in Bighorn County, but all across the United States. Mm, wow. The Pipestem Law website, which is PipestemLaw.com, has a, a series of form letters that you can fill out with your information and send to the FBI, the governor of Montana, Montana senators, local sheriffs, as well as Terry Bullis, the coroner, and the attorney general, all demanding justice for Kaysera. So if that is something that you would like to do, it is, they have made it easy for you. Yeah. In May of 2021, a documentary titled Say Her Name that focuses on the missing and murdered Indigenous women tells the story of Kaysera Stops Pretty Places, as well as three other Indigenous women, Henny Scott, Selena Not Afraid, and Christy Wouldn't Die. The documentary is uh, free and available on YouTube. Uh, I will post it on Twitter and Instagram. Hmm. Um, and in the documentary, they... <sighs> I I struggle with this because there's they say something in the documentary that I read nowhere else including some of the sources that I think had the the most accurate information. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of Weird to throw this in at the last moment, but they in the documentary, they state that Kaysera was transported to a different area of Montana, quote, known for methamphetamine production and sef- sex trafficking. And they said that she was held in that location for several days. But they are the only source that mentioned that. So right. I, I don't know how accurate that is. Mm, okay. The family is offering a $5,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest and conviction of whoever is responsible for Kaysera's death. If you have any information on the disappearance and murder of Kaysera Stops Pretty Places, please contact the Bighorn County Investigator at 406-665-9780. And that is the story of the death and possible murder of Kaysera Stops Pretty Places.
1: Oh my gosh. Wow. Poor girl. Yeah.
0: Yeah, oh really gosh. awful. I, as I said, when I was researching it, I just was getting increasingly furious with each thing that I read. It feels like in her passing, like nobody just,
1: nobody cared that needed to, of course, her family and her community care, but nobody with the power to make necessary change and, and take absolute action cared.
0: That hundred percent.
1: Yes. It's like her name came up on the desk as a case and they were like, they looked at it. They looked at the demographics and thought,
0: ah, she has an easy oh, day. Well. We don't have to worry yeah. about to work too hard today. You know? Yeah, exactly. So that was the case I chose to cover for this episode. Well, good which, job. I think it's important. I think that I'm glad you did that. Thank you. Yeah. I, but there was another kind of like option on the law and order wiki. They mentioned that one of the characters, the kind of, um, Uh, the sort of weird (laughs) business owner woman was based on Leona Helmsley. Hmm. But they didn't like talk about any specific case or anything that she was involved in. So I was like, I could do that, but it just didn't seem super relevant. And I was like, I want to tell one of the stories of the missing and murdered indigenous women, because they do not get nearly the media coverage that they need and deserve. No, they don't.
1: I was just going to ask you what you rated the episode for watchability.
0: Um, I'm going to give it a D for watchability. <laughs> I didn't think it was particularly a well-constructed narrative that they gave. I uh, I gave it a C
1: minus. I thought it was, yeah. you know, entertaining enough, but it didn't really hold my attention and I thought that like you said there were zillions of characters, so many characters, and so many
0: strange like unnecessary visits to unnecessary people. <laughs> totally. Um and I feel like they it was one of those stories where, like, through their investigation, the, like, charges and allegations, like, shifted toward other people. So it they, like, did all this build-up work to the mother of the child, but then they, like, pivoted to to investigating and charging, like, the building owners. So it was just, it was strange. It was kind of a weird episode. It was, yeah. Story-wise. Um, how would you rate it as far as how, how they, like, dealt with the topics that they dealt with? Um, obviously it doesn't have anything to do with the case i covered but let's see i don't know really i guess i don't know i don't think they were
1: i guess it's hard to to it. i didn't even think about that (laughs) yeah i'm let's give them a c just uh, a flat c yeah because i mean they're not particularly proactive at anything in the in the episode no definitely not
0: Well, if you would like to help our podcast grow, the very best thing you can do is to rate and review our podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen to our episodes. It is so easy to do. It's fast. It's fun for you to talk about how cool we are. And it really, really does help us out. So if you haven't done that, please do that.
1: Yes. And we read every single one. Every single one. We sure do. Also, it would be really wonderful if you could tell a friend, a colleague, somebody who you think might be interested in what we're doing. Let them know about our podcast. And word of mouth is really huge. So if you could just get the word out, we would really, really
0: appreciate it. Yeah, and we love connecting with our listeners, so please feel free to send us an email at RippedHeadlinesPod at gmail.com, and find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ripped Headlines. And don't forget to check out our website, RippedHeadlinesPod.com.
1: There you'll find the link to our Patreon, which has some great perks which we mentioned at the top of the episode. you also get the joy of supporting one of your favorite podcasts and your two new best friends.
0: Exactly. Thank you so much for listening to Ripped from the Headlines, where you get the facts and some fiction.
1: We'll see you next week, and until then, stay out of the headlines.
0: Bye. Bye.